0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the fan side of network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. Spring training is well underway. We got a lot of Cubs uh, players to talk about. We got a lot of, I guess, news to talk about. Nothing really front office wise, but there's a lot of players who are sticking out performance wise that we want to touch on. Also, we want to get to a very fun and exciting new segment we are going to have on this show every single week, and I have not told my co-host, Adam McGinnis, what exactly we're doing. So, right before I introduce that segment, I want to bring in Adam. How are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing well. Good. And yourself? How are you doing, Alex? Oh, I'm doing just fine. I don't always take the time to ask you that question. Well, thank you for asking this week. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well.
0: I, I appreciate Good. that. For once, Good. you've warmed my heart a little bit.
1: Yes, and I, I promise this is sincere. And I am not patronizing you. Not at all. Hmm. That last inflection
0: makes me think otherwise, but...
1: I don't know what you're talking about.
0: Eh, yeah, sure. Well, are you ready for uh, this new fun segment we're going to be doing every week? Lay it on me. All right. So, this segment is simple. We're going to reminisce about a cub of old, whether it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, any cub that we loved watching. We're just going to talk about him, what our favorite moments were of him, what our favorite things were about him, what were some moments that didn't look so great, but we're just going to bring a random cub to the table and we're going to talk about him. And what I figured was we're going to switch off every week. One week I pick a cub, one week you pick a cub. We'll just kind of go back and forth. Okay, cool. I like it. One thing I've really noticed on like social media, like especially like you know among Cubs fans, is we mm-hmm. love talking about former cub players, whether they were great, whether they were just kind of forgotten bench names and you were just kind of having fun with, hey, you remember when they had Brad Snyder or remember when they had Marlon Bird, you know lo- those kind of things. People love that stuff, So yeah. I figured. Why not bring that to the show?
1: Well, and it, I think it makes sense too, because I mean, until 2016, when they finally won the the big one, I mean, the, reminiscing is all we had as Cubs fans, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, there wasn't any winning to be had. So all we had was talking about the past and it, find any, any kind of conversation that, uh, that we could dig up that had any sort of value because I mean, obviously the Cubs, uh, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a Cubs fan, and uh, you you know the history. There's there's just not a lot of winning to talk about, but yeah, yeah, unfortunately not. But yeah,
0: I think we'll we'll have a lot of fun about uh, with this one, and I have a Cub in mind, but we'll get to that after we get to what's going on right now with the current Cubs, because let's face it, that's the most newsworthy thing right now. So why don't we just get into that first, and then then we'll come back around to this segment to kind of close out the show. So spring training games are underway. The Cubs are eight and five in case you really care about spring training record. I don't think anyone really does. But, you know, obviously you watch spring training for the purpose of seeing how individual players do, how they get back in the groove, how they maybe adjust on a few things that they wanted to fix from last year. I mean that's, that's really what you, you watch it for, and that's really what the players play for. Uh, today, the Cubs won four to one over the Royals, and what was good in that game was seeing another fine job by Jose Quintana. He was really good today. I believe he went three scoreless, a couple of strikeouts, one walk. We also had Tyler Chatwood, and he's the first one I wanted to bring up. Tyler Chatwood. I'm not asking you to believe in the guy just yet, but I will say it's nice that so far. In eight innings pitched, he's got a two twenty five ERA, five strikeouts, a WHIP of one point one three, and if I believe the stats are correct, he hasn't walked anybody
1: yet. I I think he might I think he might have one walk, maybe I don't know.
0: I, I feel mean, like one, he has
1: one walk on the on the season, the the spring training season. I mean, not I should in this say he
0: spin. he didn't walk anyone today. Is what I should say.
1: Right, right, right. Well, I mean that's the that's the main takeaway. I mean, it's I really could care less about how many hits pitchers are giving up in spring training because it it just doesn't matter all that much right now. I don't think anyway. Uh, it's the walks, the 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 the, uh, the walks. That's a great thing to see from Tyler Chatwood that he's he's not so wild. I mean, like I've said countless times since the season ended, I'll believe it when I see it in the regular season. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get my hopes up too much, uh, but I, I like what I'm seeing so far because, I mean, if he could, if he can pull it together and have some more control this year, I think he could really be a useful part of that rotation because, as we've said before, the movement on some of his pitches, it's really good. It's extraordinary, he's, he's, yeah. He's got some really great stuff, I mean, and... As everyone knows, his problem last year wasn't, wasn't movement, wasn't great stuff. It's just the fact that he couldn't locate it at all. Yeah, they Any didn't other. hit him hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and if he could put that curveball in the strike zone, in the bottom portion of the strike zone, he could be a force in that rotation. He could end up being one of the better uh, back-end starters in the league, I think. And so, I, I like I said, I'm not going to hold my breath, uh, but I think this is a really encouraging start.
0: So this is what he did today, three innings pitched, three hits, no runs, no walks, one strikeout, induced two double play grounders, seven grounders total. That's kind of what you'd expect with him, get a lot of ground balls.
1: That's exactly what you want from Tyler Chatwood.
0: And uh, you were right, one free pass. I knew he had one, but in the last few outings, he hasn't had any. When I first read something wrong, I'm like, wait, he's got to have at least one walk, so one free pass in eight innings this That's spring.
1: That's great. That's yeah. great,
0: yeah. Because remember, when he started, he gave up a two-run home run to Brandon Belt in their game against the Giants, and people thought, oh, God, here we go. But ever since then, he's looked really, really good. And I'm with you. I think it'll be very big if he
1: can pull it together. Well, and like, I mean, and like I said, you know, pitchers giving up home runs in spring training, you just you can't worry about that kind no. of stuff. At this point, you just can't. I mean, it's everybody's a little rusty. It's going to take, you know, you can't just dive right back into it in February and March and just pick up where you left off the previous season. And so I I, I think there's there's plenty of room. To, you got to give them some slack, cut them some slack. Uh, like Like I said, the main thing is approach for hitters and control for the pitchers. I mean if you're if you're locating even when pitchers locate the way they want, they're still going to give up some home runs. It's just inevitable. I mean it, it's it's really easy when a pitcher gives up a home run to blame it on the pitcher every single time. I think the fact of the matter is that you, you sometimes you just can't help it, you know. Yeah. Hitters hitters just sometimes have it figured out. You can you can home you can homer off a really good pitch that happens it's it's not the case that every single time a home run is hit it's because the pitcher screwed up
0: and I mean let's say we go into the season and Tyler Chatwood is much improved are we really going to go back and say oh remember that two run home run he gave up in the very first start he had in spring training No. no it was like the second or third game of Cactus League play as soon as spring training is over nobody remembers what Anybody did in spring training? No, when it I comes mean to like
1: performance. Even, and even even if he sucks on ice again this year, nobody's going to go back to spring training. Nobody's nobody's going to be like, oh well. I mean, the signs were there in spring training. They'll they'll go back to last regular season. That's how little spring training means. I think it's yeah. really it's just about getting warmed up again. That's all it is. Spring training is glorified practice. Is all it is.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like I've said before, I think the importance of spring training is for those who come back from injury, and that's going to kind of segue into our next conversation. You, Darvish. I know we talk about Darvish a lot, but there's a lot to talk about in his last start against the White Sox. That took place, what was it, Sunday? It was either Sunday or Saturday. It was over the weekend, and it was at Sloan Park. I was listening to the game on the radio, so I obviously didn't see it, but... His pitches were posted by him on Instagram, and wow. He was throwing 96, 97 mile-an-hour fastballs. He was throwing frisbees for sliders. I mean, just the movement was incredible. Nasty stuff. Nasty. Nasty. And that is where spring training is more important, is seeing guys like you, Darvish, coming back from injury and finding form again let's face it, there would be a lot of worried people if he was only throwing 88, 89. He's throwing 96, 97. And you he's like 94, 95.
1: And he even said, direct quote, that, this, that he feels the best he has in his whole career, in yeah. his entire career, even his early days uh, in, in Texas with the Rangers. I mean, that's, this, is, this is great to see this confidence from you, Darvish. We never got a taste of that kind of confidence last year. Never, never,
0: not once. It's great. And the other thing is you look at that performance and you go, all right, no hits. I think only one walk, three strikeouts. Pretty good. I mean, you can't complain at all. And he didn't go further than two innings because the Cubs put an eight spot up. I think in the second inning, the bottom of the second. So they just had Darvish throwing in the pen, the rest of the way kind of simulated instead of sitting that long and then going back out since the Cubs batted around for so long. And Again, I was listening to that in the radio on the car, in in the car on the radio. And that inning it felt like it lasted over an hour. It was crazy. It wasn't yeah. literally over an hour, but it was a long long inning because the Cubs were drawing a lot of walks. They were getting hits. It was kind of funny. It started as a lot of guys falling behind 1 2 0 2 and then they were working the full counts and then they were drawing walks and then just the hit parade came. Hit 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 it was a great recipe. And one of those hits was a big home run by Chris Bryant. If if you've seen the, the video of that on uh, Twitter, that thing was a bomb. It was an absolute yeah. bomb. Yeah. That was probably the best spring training game of the spring, just to see everyone's approach being where we wanted it. Again, it's spring training, but I think that does say something about their approach. When you see a lot of guys falling behind and working full counts and getting on base, that's, you really look at the approach over the stats.
1: Oh yeah. I mean that's that's all spring training is is just approach and and if people are comfortable or not. And going back to you, Darvish, I mean Darvish has gotta be the the biggest uh focal point for the Cubs of the oh, yeah. of the spring, I would think. I mean it's the most relevant, I think, because
0: pictures wise, yeah.
1: This yes. just this attitude that we're seeing from him that we didn't see last year is so encouraging. Because I think sometimes that's all you need is just that right mindset. Because, I mean, if if you think back to last year before he got hurt, it would be easy to get into that funk of thinking, uh, oh, God, I hope I don't do what I did last week in that start. But just just to hear him say that this is the best stuff of his career, that that could be enough to to get the ball rolling. If you will it, dude, it is no dream. Right on. Right on.
0: So that's really all I gotta say about you, Darvish. We'll continue to watch him as spring goes along. Let's go to Chris Bryant again. We mentioned the the three run home run or two run home run, whatever he hit the other day. Again, it was an absolute bomb. I don't really care how many runs it drove in, it's the fact that he just hit a bomb was very impressive. Man, he is ready to take on the universe. You yeah. hear the interviews he has like on six seven to the score. Yeah. He's like, yeah. dude, I don't want to hit the ball on the ground. I want to hit the ball in the air. I'm trying to
1: hit the lower third of the ball.
0: Yeah, I don't what care what all this? these people are saying. What I, is yeah. this
1: from Chris Brown? He's been so quiet his whole career, and now, he's this, now he's this edgy, sassy boy. <laughs> like, what? where did this come from? The, the 670 the score interview was kind of interesting, I think, because there, there's a lot of us uh, that fall into the category of old man yells at cloud when it comes in to, to advanced analytics, launch angle, stuff like that. Um, and I admittedly am am a part of that crowd sometimes. Uh, but it was interesting to hear him say, to kind of debunk some of our perceptions. Uh, and it makes you wonder how much teams really are taking that approach and how much of it is just, you know, TV shows and, and these analysts kind of projecting stuff. Uh, because, it, I mean, it was when Chris Bryant says, you know, no, I'm not trying to do that. Uh, it makes it really it makes you wonder how many of these players are actually focusing on launch angle stuff and how much of it is just TV guys jabbering. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I think individual players may take launch angle with a different, you know, grain of salt, I oh, guess yeah. if you want to call it that. But I think that uh, where you see a lot of. The study of launch angle, it goes along with front offices saying, well, we like these guys because they're more embracing of the launch angle over these other Mm -hmm. guys. Or we like these coaches because they embrace that a little more than these guys. It may not necessarily be the players themselves embracing it. It's the front office embracing those who do or don't embrace it? If right. that makes sense,
1: right? Yeah, and I'm not trying to say it's not there. That there, there is nothing to the launch angle uh, approach. That that teams aren't embracing that. It just makes me wonder uh, if if we blow it out of proportion a little. Oh, bit, sure. If it's not not quite as prevalent as some people think. You know, I
0: think to me, a lot of launch angle is just more of a fun study. It's not really the right. do or die. Of baseball,
1: well, but yeah. it is a fun study. Exactly because it's it's easy when you read some articles that that go really in depth about launch angle. It, it's easy to think, oh my, I I think we're going a little too far with this. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you over you overcomplicate things. But you're right. This is more this is more post production. Uh, Analysis. Then you know players aren't going up to the plate and thinking, "Oh, I need to hit it at this angle to 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 be successful here." That's not what's happening. I think it's mostly just examining what players are doing. Uh, It may not be so much that they they're going up with this overly complicated approach. Well, and people call Chris uh, Chris Bryant like
0: the I don't know what exactly the term he used, but he was basically saying how a lot of people perceive him as the big launch angle. I, yeah he like the used some other
1: child for it
0: yeah, I, I can't remember exactly what term he used, but he talked about that, and he said, you know i'm just I'm just approaching baseball the way I always have. I try to hit the lower third of the ball to try to hit in the air. I just that's the kind of player I am. I hit it in the air, And look, I think that launch angle is something that people look more and more into these days because that's where baseball has been going right. A lot of strikeouts, a lot of home runs. You're swinging for the fences more. But at the end of the day, every professional ball player pretty much has their own hitting DNA. And while coaches in the major league level can't help with a few things, like I pointed out the Chili Davis thing. He clearly wasn't the right fit with this team. And I think it did negatively impact a number of the players because a lot of these guys are young and they were trying to fix things and get better from the year before when they fizzled out in the NLCS. It, there was a lot of talk about them striking out too much. So, yeah. you know, maybe they were trying to change the philosophy, but you really look at established ball players, they have their own approaches. And yeah, while and it can be coached at times, they're not going to really just overly change who they are.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you pretty much you've touched on what I was going to say here is that what what irks me is when guys want everyone to just embrace this one method. And like you said, because I think what works for Chris Bryant isn't necessarily going to work for say Albert Almora, you know, you can't, you can't, I I don't think you can implement the same strategy uh, for every single player because it just, you know, they're each different, you know, they each have their own approach. That's, that's one thing about baseball that I think is, it's, it, it, you got to think of it in terms of other sports, you know. Every NBA player doesn't have the same shot stroke. You know what I mean? And it's it's the same thing in baseball. You can't you can't try to force the same batting stance, the same swing onto every guy because what works for one person isn't necessarily going to work for another.
0: You also got to keep in mind that there are different kinds of hitters out there. There's hitters who slug, there's hitters who hit line drives. You know, obviously again, a lot of players are slugging these days more than ever and strikeouts are at an all time high, but you're still going to have those guys that are more slappy type hitters that don't necessarily hit for power. Even if it's a bit rarer these days, so to speak, those guys are still out there. So yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation and it's pretty obvious to me that Chris is the type of player that he is and he's going to approach the game the way he's going to approach it. And he's not going to let any negative feedback from last year get to him. I I think that's the biggest takeaway I have here is that he's not going to be Mr. Nice Guy. He's not going to be, oh, you know, they said that about me. Uh, Should I be bothered by it? No, he's he's going to go out there and mash. He doesn't really care. And, no, frankly, I'm excited for the prospect of him
1: being fully healthy and
0: putting together
1: maybe another career year. It's this is a little off topic, but does Chris Bryant being 27 years old make you feel kind of old? It is kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, he's like he's he's three years away from being thirty, and I it feels like yesterday that he played his first major league baseball game. You know, I'll admit, I
0: rarely skipped class in college. That game, I did. I was lucky enough to not have
1: class that day, so or or not at that time. The thing is, though, it was what, what was it a Friday
0: or a Thursday. I can't remember what day it was. I can't remember
1: what day it was either. All I remember is that I was lucky enough to not have a class going on during that game.
0: Yeah. I, I flat out skipped class that day and I only skipped class twice in college. Really?
1: Yes. That's good for you, man.
0: The other was opening day 2013.
1: Yeah. I, I, I was never much of a class skipper either. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I would say that's that's a that's a legitimate excuse. I think <laughs> if you didn't have like an exam or anything, I'd say that's a legitimate excuse. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that that's day a big was... moment. That's a big moment in Cubs
0: history. Yeah, that day, all we were doing was getting lectures and the lectures were posted in PDFs online every week.
1: That's I got I got mad beef with that. That's because I, that, I've seen that a lot. I I go to I, UNL. And a lot of lectures just end up being a slideshow. Like it, you, you pay all this money and then you go to a lecture and it's just some prepared PowerPoint. And they're just yeah. and, and and the professor just reads the PowerPoint word for word to you. It's like why why did I even need to show up for this? You could have just emailed me the PowerPoint and I could have just read it myself. And the way and, they
0: get you is that you have to attend and get points for attendance.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another thing is I, like, you should go to your classes because you just, you make it hard for yourself if you don't. But, but I think, I mean, the point of college is the choice of whether or not you have to go. It's it's just like high school. If you're, if you're making everybody attend, I mean, you should, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm kind of, I'm against the, uh, the attendance point things. I am too, because look, like, I went to a small
0: college, but a lot of professors treated attendance like high school, like late yeah. points. It's like, you know what? Here's the thing. You're paying to go there. If you don't show up to the lectures and you don't do well, that, that should just should, yeah, be on should you. Be,
1: that, that, should, that should be your problem. I agree. Right. I mean, there's, there's some people don't need to go to class as often as others. I mean, that's just the the harsh reality of life is that some people are smart enough to be able to skip however many classes they want and still pass with flying colors. Uh, and you are at, in college, you should be at that point in your life where you're you're in that young adult phase uh, where you're on your own time. Uh, and so yeah, I think I think it's kind of it's bull that professors do that that they they make you come.
0: One I had was. One professor I had legitimately counted tardies. It's like, seriously, it was one of those. Oh, you have to be in the classroom in your desk. And I really just want to
1: stand up and say, is
0: this high school?
1: Well, yeah. And it's something my dad always told me that I still agree with is that college is, is more a testament to fortitude than anything else because you don't, you don't necessarily learn the skills that you need for your future profession in college. It's more just a test to see if you will put forth the effort that you need to to accomplish something. And so I think it, it's you're missing out on a life lesson when you're forced to show up because I think some people need to learn uh, and I was guilty of this my freshman year too uh you you should be you should want to to learn the lesson you like if you if you need to show up and you don't that should be on you you know what I right. mean right if you miss a meeting at work is are they gonna deduct points from you no there's no
0: point system that's to the complete discretion of whoever you work with and it should vary from time to time I mean look in In college, everyone's an adult by then. You shouldn't be treated like a kid. There shouldn't be like points and reward systems for that kind of thing. You should be treated like you are in the real world.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know what? You don't get
0: rewarded a lot in the real world. You just get scolded at a lot, but you're not treated like a kid.
1: Yeah. See, I, yeah, that's, I, I, it's exactly right. See, when I was in high school, we had, we had a really tough uh, biology teacher in high school, really tough. Uh, And so when I was a freshman and I took biology, I thought, oh, well, I mean, this it can't really it can't get any tougher than the biology I had in high school. So I'm fine. You know, I don't need to I don't need to study all that much. I don't need to go to every lecture because I I I pretty much already know everything Uh, that turned in. That turned up to not be the case. Uh, I was wrong about that. And I learned the hard way and I had to take that class again uh, the next year. And I think that that's that's a life lesson that a lot of college students need to learn. And you're depriving them of that if you force them to attend.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I I do have to laugh because I also had professors that literally did not give a crap if you were there or not. And that was always kind of interesting. Like, there were some classes I had that were complete blow-offs and you didn't have to show up. I still did, but if you really didn't want to show up, you you really oh, yeah. could have gotten around it, but that's, I always that's... felt like if I don't show up, I'm gonna miss something big.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you just make it harder for yourself. But it's weird how that how it's kind of changed over time because it used to be that way that all the college professors did not care if you showed up or not, didn't you know, They're getting paid the same. No matter what, the, and because it's different in high school where uh, if you've got a lot of kids failing your class, that reflects really poorly on the teacher. Like the teacher actually has incentive uh, yeah. to, to have good grades for their class, whereas in college, if if 80 percent of the kids are going to fail the class, the university doesn't care. You know, that doesn't matter no. to them. Uh, but it, getting it, them money. yeah, I mean, it's different. It's different now, though. It's where professors do seem to care if you show up or not.
0: You know, I also think there's a big difference between me who went to a very small private university and like other people I know who went to like U of I or Purdue and those Mm -hmm. big lecture halls of 300 people. The professors don't even know anybody there. In in my school, the professors knew us personally because our class sizes, I think my biggest class size was maybe 30, but I've had plenty of classes where it was like 15 or less.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, like I'm ai was I'm a public university guy. Yeah. And and. I've I've been to some small lectures, too, but a lot of the lectures that I that I go to, you're right, are like 100, 200 plus people. And you're not going to have a personal relationship with your professor unless you actually want to.
0: Yeah, the very small school I went to, it was uh, it was a little different. But you know what? I met a lot of great people there, a lot of great professors, and I loved pretty much all of them. There were a few that I was kind of about, but I never really hated any of them. But I had a lot of great ones, so I will say that. But anyway, uh, moving back to baseball. Yeah, I suppose we better
1: talk about baseball on
0: the baseball podcast, huh? For sure. But yeah, I mean, that's Chris Bryant ready to take on the world. I don't have much else to say. I mean, right now he's mashing. He's getting on base. He's slugging the ball. He's hitting
1: singles and he's, he's doing it all. Can't really say much else about him. I think at this point in Chris Bryant's career, it's like like there there's some guys where you look at them and they, they, they have an off year and you say, OK, well, what what did they need to do differently to get back on track with Chris Bryant? Chris can do whatever the hell he wants. I think he's pretty much earned the right at this point to just do whatever he wants because he's proven uh, he can be one of the best players in baseball. I think he, he is if he's healthy. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, absolutely. Another player
0: I wanted to talk about who's not quite as big as Chris Bryant, but he is really, really impressing a lot of people so far, that's Mark Sagunas. And Mark Zagunis is one of those people that you go, oh yeah, Mark Sagunas. he's kind of a thing, isn't he? Because he's been a, a notable prospect for a number of years now unfortunately he's been pretty blocked in the major leagues he doesn't really have much room he's only had a handful of at-bats in the majors mainly filling in for people uh who've been hurt so not a lot of playing time but I think if he was on many other teams he'd have a lot more playing time because he doesn't really have much left to prove in the minors but so far this spring training 20 at-bats, 350, 381, 750, with an OPS of 1.13, two homers, and I know people don't care about RBIs as much these days, but he leads the team in RBIs. Just saying.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, it's spring training, and you just can't put much stock into that, because let's face it, if, if Zagunas played every day uh, this, this upcoming season, he wouldn't even be in the top five in RBIs. Probably... Probably no. not, you know, but uh, I, I thought you had a nice article on Zagunas a few days ago. Uh, I think it is an unfortunate reality that as long as he is on the Cubs, he just is not going to get a ton of playing time. Uh, if he keeps it up and he's able to be a viable player at the major league level, I would like to see him get some more spot starts. Uh, you know, not just playing if somebody's hurt, but playing to give somebody some some rest because the Cubs have some veterans on their team uh, that they probably can't play every day uh and so i i I would like to see Zagunas have a little bit of a larger role this year because i I do think he is at a point in his career you know he's he's pretty old for for a prospect kind of guy you know twenty twenty six yeah. twenty seven is is pretty late to be breaking out, so I don't think that th- that the Cubs could get you know something too impressive uh if they were to trade him so I would like to see him fill a bit of a larger role on the team this year yeah me too. Absolutely. I think that he can do it.
0: He's never going to be like a starter for a long time, no, like you no, said, no. but hey, good depth. You can never have enough organizational depth. And if somebody on the projected roster for opening day, we pretty much know who's going to make the team position player wise. I don't think there's really any question who's going to make the team or who's not. Right. But if someone goes down, he's probably one of the first people to fill in a spot, especially if an outfielder goes down.
1: Oh, yeah, and I, I, I think that uh, it would it would be tough to be in that position if, if you were Zagunis, I think, to know that you, you've got you've pretty much got the stuff to be an MLB player, but you're blocked because the Cubs just have too many guys who, who need to be on the roster. Uh, so it, it would be hard because, I mean, as fun as it would be to be a Chicago Cub, I would think you would want to be in a place where, where you could start regularly or at least be on the roster. Regularly, so you got to give props to the guy for for having a good attitude uh, because it, it's a it's a bit of an unfortunate situation. That's that's one of the hard things about being an MLB player and pursuing that dream is that you know, you, you just might not get the playing time you think you deserve. Um, but and you know, like you said, the Cubs are just an injury or two away from him being a starter.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's good to have that kind of depth. A little trivia question for you. Do you have any yeah. idea who leads the team in at bats this spring training so far? I do not. Take a guess.
1: <sighs> Albert Almora. No. Joe Johnson. No. I made that up. I, um,
0: I was going to say, who the heck yeah. is that?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, okay, tell me. Johnny Field johnny field okay 24 at bats
0: and just below him three guys with 20 mark zagunis is one Aducci is the other and adams is the other one so yeah your top four guys are kind of who you'd expect either organizational depth or just guys that were invited to spring training and they're going to be gone in a few weeks off Johnny the forty man roster.
1: What a phenomenal baseball name that oh, is I know. Johnny Field. Could that be more perfect? It's glorious. Yes. It is glorious. I, I want him to I want him to make the team and, and get some MLB games in just for that name because that's amazing. Ah, that is too cool. It really is. The the
0: regular who has the most at bats so far is Ian Happ with 18. And then followed by that is Albert Amora. And then Javi Baez, Caratini, Rizzo, they're all between 10 and 15. So, you know, that's that's where they're at right now. But, again, that's going to change when the starters stay in longer and they get more at-bats. That's how spring training always goes. And you got a lot of skewed stats because it's spring training and sample sizes are small. A guy named Donahue is leading the team in average with 1,000, and he's one for one. So... <laughs> Hey,
1: I mean, that's true. If you're one for one,
0: you're batting 1,000. But here is something to note. Kyle Schwarber is batting 500 with a 7.37 on base. And Kyle Schwarber, he's been kind of doing it all this spring. He's drawn nine walks. He hasn't hit a home run yet, but five hits, three doubles, three runs scored. And he's shooting the ball all fields. He's going oppo. He's pulling the ball. He's doing... Everything And again, it's spring training, but this is the year we all hope everything comes together for Kyle Schwarber because last year we saw the plate discipline, we saw the walks, we saw mid-20s home runs, which isn't bad, but for a guy like him, you expect more. The year before, we saw a lot of struggles with strikeouts and not getting on base as preferred, but he hit over 30 home runs the year before. We want to see everything come together. We want to see the home runs, we want to see the plate discipline, we want to see the walks, we want to see the spraying of all fields, we want to see that all in one season, and I think this is the season it's going to happen. I'm very optimistic about that. So good sign so far in spring training. do Do you think his approach looks a little different? Well, I don't know how much this affects things, but he seems to be bigger again. This year and I noticed I that think too, yeah. bigger Schwarber just generates more power for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. That's the main noticeable thing. I, I haven't watched much of Kyle Schwarber. I just, I've seen the the videos that people post like from the stands, you can't really see the approach that well from that angle. So,
1: right. I mean, obviously I don't know this for sure, but it, it sometimes it seemed like Kyle Schwarber, uh, got into this rhythm where he, was trying to hit a massive bomb every time he went up to the plate. Like, he's embracing this big home run reputation that he's got. Uh, And I think it would be better for him uh, to kind of ditch that mentality of trying to hit a monster home run every plate appearance, because obviously that's just not possible. Um, If he
0: gets his pitch, I want him to let it fly, but I definitely think he should keep that plate discipline. Yes, yeah. I think he will.
1: Yeah, I think that that's that's the sign of a smart ball player, somebody who who works with what the pitchers are giving them rather than trying to do too much every time. And I think we're kind of maybe seeing a little bit of that with Kyle Schwarber now. So maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year that he really breaks out. I sure hope so. I really do. Boy, baseball references, their projections for him, not good. They're not expecting much for Kyle Schwarber this year. Have you looked at him? no i haven't what are they it's 231 batting average which is you know i can't argue too much with that that's pretty much kyle schwarber only 335 on base percentage though which kind of surprised me a little bit yeah and they and they're projecting a career low slugging percentage for him too at 453 and only 25 home runs which i know he, he only hit 26 last year but i think that was i think that was an off year him because I mean he hit more home runs than that in 2017 with with less games less plate appearances so that's I don't know it's kind of odd to me that that baseball reference is not looking for much from Schwarber in 2019
0: see I see his average around 240 I see his on base around 360 and I see him around 35 homers maybe closer to 40 but that's where
1: I see him optimistically that's, that's pretty much exactly where I'm at and and I think Kyle Schwarber could be a better average hitter. I think he can hit two fifty, two sixty. I really do. Uh, but like we've talked about before, he's he, if he's not going to be a two fifty, two sixty ish hitter, then he really should be hitting like forty home runs if he's going to provide enough value.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd like to see him get that high, but honestly, I. I say 240, 250 is my maximum average for him. But again, if, if he's doing everything else, drawing walks, home runs, and it, average is whatever to me. So yeah, the
1: the 335 on base percentage thing really caught me by surprise because I, I do that, think he's, yeah. you know, he's going to strike out a lot. That's just who he is. But I really do think he's solidified himself as an on base guy. I think yeah. he's, I think he's much better moving forward. I think that he should average in the 350 360 ish range
0: i agree totally i agree totally well there's going to be many more things to talk about moving forward in spring training i'm ready to get to our uh remember that cub type segment uh we gotta let's think of it. an. we gotta think of an official name for this first uh how about just like cubs of old all right cubs yeah, of let's old doing it. you want to go yeah. cubs of old all right cool timers So our first Cubs of Old segment, drum roll, please. It's Derek (laughs)
1: Lee. Hey, that's funny enough. If you would have let me pick first, that is who I would have picked.
0: Well, I mean, he's really probably the most nostalgic Cub for me. Maybe Aramis Ramirez would be the one to match that. But Derek Lee, that guy just really was underrated in his prime. And unfortunately, that wrist injury in 2006 prevented him from putting up more seasons, maybe not quite as good as 2005, because that was, that was a whole other level. But you saw the few seasons after that, he was still putting up good numbers, but the power went down a little bit. But look at 2005 alone. 335, 418, 418. slugging, an OPS of 1.080. By the way, the average, the slugging, the OPS, the OPS plus of 174, the doubles at 50, and the hits at 199, those all led the leagues. Yes. Uh, The National League, I should say. He was a gold glover. He was a silver slugger. He finished third in the MVP voting. Darn you, Albert Pujols.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's just unfortunate timing. But uh, Derek Lee uh, was actually the very first Cubs jersey that I ever owned. Oh, there you in go. Fact, in fact, it was the only one I ever owned until I bought an Ernie Jen- Ernie Banks one last year. Um, my dad got me a Derek Lee jersey, I think. I don't know if it was for my birthday. I think he might have just been in Chicago for a game with his friends and brought it back for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was around the time that I was actually just getting into sports. I mean, you and I are fairly young people. We're both in our early twenties, I think. I mean, so if you'd have named somebody from like the eighties and earlier, I'd have been like, "Oh yeah," my memory would be like, "Oh yeah, I remember watching videos of him on YouTube." Right, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, Derek Lee was a bright spot on a lot of bad Cubs teams. Uh, spent most of his year on losing teams, unfortunately. Uh, but, man, what a fantastic career he had. I and mean, really, really, I think, an underrated baseball player. Hey, Hall of Fame worthy, do you think? Hall of Very Good. Hall of Very Good, huh? I don't know, man. I Just based on some of the other guys that are getting in, I mean, career 281 hitter, uh, 281, 365, 495 career slash line, 331 home runs. I mean, 15-year career? I, I think he's close. I, you, just based on some of the other guys that are in, I, this looks almost Hall of Fame worthy to me. I can't help but wonder
0: what the rest of his career would have been like 2006 and beyond had he not
1: broken his wrist. Yeah. That's that's fair enough. I mean, he still he still had some good seasons post 2006. Yeah, for sure. I I just think you
0: look at where he was trending in 0405 at the peak of his career. And he was out of the league when he was 35. You saw kind of the dip start to happen in 2010. But nobody talks about how good he was in 2009. In 2009, he hit 35 homers. A career high, 111 RBIs, slash line of 306, 393, 579, and an OPS of 972, and an OPS plus of 146. That was a really good year, and he was coming off very solid seasons in 07, 08. Those slash lines, 317, 400 in 2007, 291, 361 in 2008, those are really good slash lines. But what we saw in 09 was, we saw that power come back. 35 home runs, because in 07, 22, again, good, but considering where he was trending low, and then 20 in 2008, same thing. But again, I think the broken wrist played a factor in that.
1: Oh, no doubt, no doubt. It's, it's, yeah, it's interesting to, to, to think about what could have been, uh, I think. But, you know, playing till you're 35, is a, that's a major achievement. You know, even even for somebody who's totally and completely healthy for their entire career, 15 years is an extraordinarily long professional career. I mean, that that's that's a rare accomplishment to play that long. Um, And yeah, it's I'm really glad that you brought up Derek Lee because he he was my favorite cub growing up as a kid. And in fact, I still have a framed picture of him in my apartment. Uh, just because he was I loved watching that guy. That was my favorite thing to do in the summertime as a kid was to flip on WGN and watch Derek Lee hit. A
0: few fun factoids with him, some not so fun, but I'll point them out anyway. What sucks for Derek Lee is that he never won a single postseason game here. He was part of two division-winning teams, Mm -hmm. never saw a postseason win. It was never his fault either because if you actually look – Everyone remembers just that embarrassing, god awful performance in two thousand eight. I mean really embarrassing. And in two thousand seven too. Absolutely embarrassing. He got swept by that awful Diamondbacks team. In oh seven, he batted three thirty three, three eighty five, three thirty three in the in those three games. And in two thousand eight, five forty five, five eighty three, eight eighteen, one point zero four two OPS. So he hit in those yeah. post seasons, nobody else did
1: yeah he he definitely deserved better than what happened on those Cubs teams.
0: The other sad thing is is unfortunately, Derek Lee had that backbreaking game tying double in game six of the o three n l c s when he was on the Marlins, yeah right after the bartman incident makes
1: you makes you wonder what if things would have been different had he been traded to the Cubs a year earlier than he was.
0: Oh, I think they would have beaten the Marlins with him. I
1: think so too. I think so too. Cause you know, you remember that Oh three team at
0: first base, you had, he Sop but he went down when he collided with Kerry wood. So from then on, it was a platoon of Eric Karos, who was at the end of his career. He had a very nice career, but he was, he was old at that point. And Randall Simon, who, who was a decent platoon first baseman. He came up with a lot of big hits in that postseason. But if you would have had Derek Lee in there, I mean, that's a consistently really good ball player.
1: Yeah, it's 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 interesting and also sad to, to think about what could have been. But but uh, we, we can't spend too much time on that. But yeah, Derek Lee, a lot of fond memories watching him. Easily my favorite Cub growing up as a kid. Uh, really glad that that was your first choice. Uh, now it's that's going to make me have to think pretty hard about who I'm going to pick for next week though yeah you're up next week
0: and just a reminder for those who don't remember Derek Lee was traded to the Atlanta Braves on August 18th 2010 and I remember that because the Braves were playing at Wrigley Field so when he when he was traded to them his first game was at Wrigley Field so he didn't leave the city so he literally just switched clubhouses and put on a Braves uniform Oof. that's when Derek Lee started you could tell he was declining 2010 with the Cubs he was batting 260, 347, 428 with 19 home runs again. Oh, sorry. That's what he bad total with the Cubs, That was his total on the year with the Cubs. It was 251, 335 with 16 home runs. He hit 287 with three home runs in 39 games with the Braves that year. And, you know, they went to the postseason. But yeah, he you could tell he was at the end of his career. And then mm-hmm. his very last stop in the big leagues was Pittsburgh. He signed with Baltimore, he was traded to Pittsburgh, and Derek Lee right. hit a game winning grand slam off Carlos Marmol late in that twenty eleven season. I don't know if you remember that I do stinger I remember watching that. I was so mad
1: it really just in general it was it was really hard to see Derek Lee in different uniforms, especially I don't know why, but especially. Uh, the Orioles he, he just looked really weird in Orioles uniforms and also interestingly enough it's not that interesting it's not interesting at all actually but uh, my neighbors next door neighbors were huge Atlanta Braves fans when I was a kid at home mm-hmm. uh, and and we, we always had this kind of Cubs Braves rivalry going on between the two households and so when Derek Lee went from the Cubs to the Braves we never heard the end <laughs> of it <laughs> that was pretty bad well, they had him for like, what, five weeks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, you know, when, when my favorite Cubs player is in a Braves uniform, that's open season. He played with Jason Hayward his rookie
0: year. Yeah. The 2010 Braves team. Yeah, that's right. The other thing I wanted to mention about that Derek Lee trade was he was traded away for essentially a pack of gum. The Cubs got yeah. absolutely nothing in return. Well, I mean, it's, he was he was at the end of his career. It, it, they were just trying to unload him. Mm-hmm. It, it was sad to see a guy like him just have to be unloaded for literally nothing. He was traded for Tyrell Harris, minors, Robinson Lopez, minors, Jeff Lawrick, minors.
1: None of those guys ever saw the big leagues. That's just the reality of getting older in the major leagues. And it, it makes you wonder, like... Thinking about Chris Bryant, it makes you wonder if the Cubs. Do you think it would be a wise decision to give him like a ten-year extension? Do you want, as good as Chris Bryant is, do you want to be paying him twenty-five, thirty million dollars when he's in his late thirties?
0: Well, I think you
1: go back and forth in that, but it's a tough discussion. I'd rather have Bryant for a long time than possibly lose him. I mean, I'm fans in the organization. I'm sure they know that. You give a contract out like that, you obviously you know that you're paying for the next four or five years of that player. That's right. what you're really that's what you're really wanting, and then you're just accepting the fact that you're you're gonna get way less uh, than what you're paying for at the tail end of that thing. But I don't know. It makes me wonder if the Cubs uh, are kind of starting to to shift towards the mentality of well, we're not gonna pay you top dollar for for mediocre performances at the end of your career. And so I, I wonder if they will offer Chris Bryant a contract that long, or if they'll try to do what they, what they did with Arietta, give high AAV for, you know, four or five years instead of $30 million a year for 10 years.
0: Yeah, that's uh that's going to be something only time will tell because I'm sure
1: there's teams out there that would be willing to give Chris Bryant a 10 year deal. Of course, when he comes a free agent,
0: Teams will want him. Yeah. Teams will definitely want him. So time will tell with that. But I don't know if you have any more Derek Lee things to say. I, I'm pretty much uh pretty much said my piece on him. Loved Derek Lee. One of my absolute favorites like you. I uh, had a Cubs helmet and I put twenty five on the back of it for Derek Lee.
1: And uh yeah. I actually the uh I, I tried I squeezed into my Derek Lee jersey uh last summer. Oh really? Um, yeah, and I and I I got that thing when I was oh, like eleven or 12. it might have even been earlier than that. I might have been like nine or ten years old. Oh, nice! When I got that jersey, I can't remember, but uh, yeah, I, I might have to put that picture up again. I, I know I've posted it before, but uh, I, I'm I'm quite a bit bigger than I was. I would back imagine then. not not just taller, but I, I'm a little got a little bit of rotundness going on with me too, uh, admittedly, and it's the buttons look like they're ready to, to fly at the the speed of a bullet. So, uh, yeah. Right on, right on. Well, I think that's
0: going to pretty much do it on this week's episode of climbing the Ivy. Adam, thanks as always for being my partner. You betcha. Well, you can check this out on Facebook, on Twitter, or on iTunes. You can listen to it in many, many places. We're always posting it and we're always excited to do new shows every week. So until next week, He's Adam. I'm Alex. Have a great night.